Mutual Fidelity Insurers of Sacramento. Yeah, well, there's gotta be a listing, honey. I pay them six Gs a year in premiums. China is here, Mr. Burton. Yeah, go ahead, all right. The Chan Xin. Yeah, okay. The Wing Kong. They've been fighting for centuries. What does that mean? Huh? China is here? I don't even know what the hell that means. All I know is this Lopan character comes out of thin air in the middle of a goddamn alley while his buddies are flying around on wires cutting everybody to shreds and he just stands there waiting for me to drive my truck straight through him with light coming out of his mouth? Jack, please. Hello. Yeah, when okay. did this Today, happen? Okay, it didn't, ahead. Uncle Chu. Not like he says. Yeah, it did, Uncle Chu. Two hours ago. Tall guy, weird clothes. First you see him, then you don't. Yeah, is this just a switchboard? No, Pong appeared on the street. Wanchi, why didn't you tell me? I didn't want to alarm you, Uncle. Look, I'm going to tell you about an accident. I don't want to hear act of God, okay? All right, look, what's your name? Mine's Jack Burton. Good afternoon, Mr. Wong. Eddie Lee, meet my dear friend Jack Burton. Eddie's a new major d here at the Blackpool. And a whole lot more. Well, I don't know my policy number. It's in the glove compartment. Just, just look under B-U-R-T-O-N, will you Jack please? Jack Burton? Yeah. Ah, oh, go ahead. Boy, the guy you always tell me about, huh? Give me that again, will you? I was, I was talking. And that was your abandoned truck. Abandoned like hell. Yeah, hello. Hello! Ha, 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 Christ. Bad news. The Lords of Death stole it after you ran away. They stole my truck. Uh-huh. Take it easy, Jack. You're with friends. We'll find it for you. You're damn right you will, Wang. And my money. And time is money to a guy like me. And your phone is dead, by the way. How do you think I feel, Jack? I lost the whole girl. The Lords of Death, they were only on a stupid joyride, see? Not acting on any orders from the Wing Kong. They just wanted a girl to sell. And Miao Yin got in the way. Plus, I found out the skirmish you guys stumbled into. Lopan, the word is, ordered the boss of the Chang Sings, Mr. Lem Lee, assassinated. That was his funeral. It was a war, Eddie. What are you doing here? Don't panic. It's only me, Gracie Law. Oh, great. Uh, I just happen to be in the neighborhood on a dark and stormy night. This is my neighborhood. Well, sure it was a war. And anybody that showed up was going to join Lem Lee in the hell of being cut to pieces. Hell of being what? Chinese have a lot of help. And what the hell is Gracie Law doing here? She can't get enough of me. Huh, he wishes. Look, you know me. I'm always poking my nose where it doesn't belong. And as a result, I admit it, this mix-up is my fault, sort of. But I've got it on good advice. That those punks that jumped me and ripped off his truck, the girl they kidnapped, they took over to the White Tigers for a quick sale. Who was she? My fiance. The White Tigers? Oh, God, I'm sorry. If we get over there tonight fast, maybe we can buy her back. A search warrant's too complicated. Violence out of the question. Hold it. Hold it. Slow down. I'm feeling a little like an outsider here. You are. Jack, listen. I need more of your help. I can't pay you today, okay? Oh, How can I? I need all my cash for Mao Yin. And it's gonna cost. She's got green eyes. Oh, no. Seriously? Well, there's an extra to these people. It's like leather bucket seats. It's double the price. What people? Look, the slow pan I ran over through has spirit medium powers like the immortals. His flesh and his bones are atomized. He becomes a dream. What? That's an exaggeration, Jack. I promise. Please, help me, okay? I got a great idea. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick?
Buy that one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 315, Big Trouble in Little China. And this is listener request number 38, courtesy of Mark. Now, this is one that I have distinct memories of being in the video rental store as a kid and always seeing the cover of it sitting there thinking that it's going to be one that I would rent, and I never did. (laughs) But I always remember seeing it and feeling like, yeah, one of these times I'm going to get this one. And it just never came to be. Well, you were missing out. Yeah. I think I would have liked it at that time. I mean, I like it now, but I think I would have enjoyed it as a youth. A ute. A ute. Yeah, so back-to-back listener requests. We got another one coming up next week as well. Good Lord. A jam-packed week here with... Tons of different stuff. Only do this show for the listeners at this point. Well, basically, yeah. yeah. Used to be for us. They're pushing us all over the map, but we hit two classic 80s films in a row with Akira and Big Trouble in Little China. So it's about damn time that we talk about John Carpenter once again. It's been totally. too long. Yep. So before we dive into Big Trub. Let's remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter, at Greatest Pod, and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like a free sticker, reach out and let us know. We'll send it to you. And finally, find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983 and Matt Crosby. If you yourself have a listener request, that can all be arranged a little exchange of some moolah. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you're interested, reach out on Twitter at GreatestPod. Or you can always email us, greatestpod at gmail.com. I would encourage all of our longtime listeners to please check reach in. out via email. We'd love to read your emails on the program. Especially but, those of you who we haven't heard from in a while. Sure, yeah. Plus, as you may have guessed, listening to the last episode and then this one. We are recording this immediately after we finished recording Akira, so it's not like we got any new emails to read now, but in the future. Anyway, let's get into it, because Big Trouble in Little China is an interesting movie, not only in terms of Carpenter's career or Kurt Russell's career even, but also just its place Mm -hmm. in the 80s in people's nostalgia, what this movie was when it was released versus what it is now. Is it a forgotten moment in Carpenter's career? Is it a hidden gem? Is it underrated? It definitely feels different than a lot of his other works. Big Trouble in Little China was released in 1986. It was directed by Carpenter, written by Gary Goldman, who may sound vaguely familiar to you if you listen to our Total Recall episode. He was one of the screenwriters on that. And David Z. Weinstein. And then interesting little situation with the crediting you get adaptation by wd richter the whole story of this movie coming to be is convoluted and weird (laughs) like usual the first version of the screenplay was written by first time screenwriters goldman and weinstein goldman had been inspired by a new wave of martial arts films that had all sorts of weird actions and special effects shot against this 
background of oriental mysticism and modern sensibilities, he said. They had written a western originally set in the 1880s with Jack Burton as a cowboy who rides into town. Huh. Goldman and Weinstein envisioned what amounts to a weird western, in this case combining Chinese fantasy elements with an Old West setting. They submitted the script to Taft Entertainment Pictures executive producers Paul Monash and Keith Barish during the summer of 82. Monash bought their script and had them do at least one rewrite but still did not like the results. He remembers, quote, The problems came largely from the fact it was set in turn-of-the-century San Francisco, which affected everything, style, dialogue, action. Goldman rejected a request by 20th Century Fox for a rewrite that asked for major alterations. He was angered when the studio wanted to update it to a contemporary setting. The studio then removed the writers from the project. Hmm. Take that. However, they still wanted credit for their contribution, so it leads into this whole big thing where the studio brings in Richter, He's a veteran script doctor, worked on lots of different scripts. He also directed The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, how about that? They want him to modernize everything. Basically, a huge overhaul. A lot of the story elements were changed. So then they get into this whole dispute over who gets credit for the script. The studio's pushing for Richter. Carpenter wanted Richter to at least be added as one of the screenwriters, but the WGA ruled against it because they generally protect the original screenwriters 99% of the time. Gotcha. So then they had to come up with adaptation by for W.D. Richter, even though it's not really being adapted from anything other than a pre-existing script yep. that most people thought was unfilmable. <laughs> Which is weird, because they buy these scripts, and then they're like, this is fucking shit, though. Right, right. <laughs> the film was a commercial failure. Grossing 11.1 million in North America below its estimated 19 to 25 million dollar budget. However, it did receive generally positive reviews, but it's the film that left Carpenter disillusioned with Hollywood and influenced his decision to return to independent filmmaking. I do imagine the marketing for this movie being weird. They talk about that a lot nowadays, where the studio didn't really understand it. They had a really hard time overcoming the idea of Jack Burton kind of being an idiot right? and the other guy sort of being the hero. And Carpenter was trying to sell them on this whole thing about how it's a movie about a guy who thinks he's the hero, but he's really the sidekick, but he doesn't know it. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of confused by that. And then it's a combination of all these different elements, and it's really unlike most movies in terms of the genre, I guess you would just file this under generic 80s action adventure. Yes. Sort of like in the same world as The Goonies or something like that. Since its release in 86, the film has gained a steady audience on home video and has become a cult classic. But as I mentioned, Carpenter would return to his independent roots. His next films, Prince of Darkness in 87 and They Live in 88, were actually made independently, and then he would reach out for distribution, but the studios didn't have any say in what was going on with those movies. This was a poor experience for him then. Well, that's what I just said. A lot of studio notes. Well, I think the whole situation, the fact that the movie failed, and then 
nobody seeming to get the vision and then not getting behind it because there really was minimal marketing right. and advertising for it. If you have not seen Big Trouble in Little China and would like to check it out, or if you'd like to rewatch it for the purposes of listening to this show, then you will have to rent it. Because at the moment, it is not streaming for free anywhere, which yes. is a bummer. But you, it is available to rent, so thankfully it's not completely out of print or anything. Luckily, I did have a Blu-ray copy. <laughs> the amount of time we waste trying to figure out the origins of said Blu-ray, yeah, where did I know. this come from, did I give it to you? In most instances, it seems like there was a good chance that it came from you, but <laughs> if people could have been sitting in for our two-hour dissertation on blink 182 set list choices <laughs> that could have been its own episode <laughs> a lot of disappointment going yeah. on in this apartment right now <laughs> i'll give big trouble in little china this it is part of what i would consider to be the definitive 80s aesthetic the neon the random chinese mysticism <laughs> kurt russell <laughs> yeah it's got an iconic 80s score from john carpenter just one of True. many the whole look, the gloomy, rainy San Francisco, it's just perfect. There's literally no fat on this thing. Yeah. They plunge you into this story, and then you're off and running. You don't even really have time to catch your breath or get your bearings. It's happening. We are in it. One of the th things, though, that is associated with the story of this movie and this movie coming to be is the Eddie Murphy film The Golden Child. Okay. Which came out later the same year. There was one of those rush to production type situations oh, because fun. they were like, oh shit, there's another major movie that's dealing with Chinese mysticism Somehow, out of nowhere. Always the case. And it's interesting. Carpenter was offered The Golden Child to direct and he turned it down. But I think if you polled most people who are interested in films, you're getting much bigger, much more positive response for Big Trouble in Little China, a movie that made almost no money mm -hmm. and bombed and was forgotten about in short order versus the lack of response I think you'd get from The Golden Child, which is considered a dud in the era of peak Eddie Murphy. People are like, this is probably like the weakest of this group for sure. Incidentally, though, that movie was a huge hit, not to the extent that the studio wanted because they were expecting Beverly Hills Cop and 48 Hours and all yeah. that shit, but, and it wasn't that. But it made way more money than Big Trouble in Little China. Like I'm sure. Yeah. 150 million more or something. Quite a bit then. And yet I don't feel like anyone ever talks about that movie. No. And Big Trouble in Little China just it's like the rabbit and the turtle, the turtle and the hare kind of yeah. a thing. It's just <laughs> slow and steady. It's gonna win the race eventually. <laughs> I don't know what people think about Kurt Russell in terms of his whole career as like a leading man. I know he had this run with John Carpenter. He was probably, like, what, the lead in, like, four Carpenter movies? Something like that? I think it might be five. But yeah. yeah. But every time I see him, I'm like, he is such a star to me. He's cool. He's charismatic. He's got this luscious hair. I just think he's got this very distinct look. Yeah, this guy is a star. He doesn't really look like anyone I could imagine knowing or being like. took a little while for it to all play out the right way, though, because he did have a string of box office bombs yeah with him in the lead we did overboard on this podcast mm -hmm. as a listener request that movie didn't make money the thing is a notorious bomb right escape from new york was like a small independent thing that had a lot of buzz but it wasn't exactly making 500 million or anything it, it took a long time for it really to 
to happen the way it probably should have happened. But then I feel like there's kind of a drop-off then at a certain point, too. Well, there is for everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to last forever. I know. There were a lot of positive test screenings in the build-up to the film being released, but very little promotion from the studio. A lot of uncertainty on how to promote it. And it was caught up in the hype for Aliens, yeah, which came out pretty close at, around the same time, and it just got washed I mean, away. I think I'm going to like say something in favor of the studio on this. I think it is tough with this movie, the marketing. It is weird. I just think you make it seem like an action-adventure. Yeah. And really focus on some of the fight scenes and the commercials and Kurt Russell and some of the cool, interesting right. visuals. Yeah, it's going to be hard to convey what the movie's about. Yeah. Well, the fact that it is mostly comedic, too. I mean, it's a pretty goofy movie. Yeah. It it has its own unique tone, for right. sure. The film opens in a lawyer's office with a man named Egg Shen, played by the late, great Victor Wong. I always remember him from Tremors. Ah, uh, yes. I was looking at Wong's... IMDb, and I saw that he passed away on September 12th, 2001. And I was like, whoa, that's weird. And then I was reading about it, and it seemed like he had a heart attack over stress because he was worried about his two sons who lived in New York during 9-11. Oh, wow. So he's almost like a casualty of 9-11 in that sense. Yeah. He's being questioned by a lawyer played by Jerry Harden, very recognizable from the X-Files. I'll always think of him as Mr. Harshaw in the hot spot. That's right. What I'd like to do today is get your version of what happened. Oh, you mean the truth? Of course. First, uh, just state your name and your occupation for the record. Oh, Egg Chen, bus driver. Bus driver, uh, what kind of bus and where, please? Oh, tour bus. Bus for tourists. San Francisco, Chinatown. Thank you. Now, oh, before we get to the meat of this thing, uh, do you at the present time have any knowledge of the whereabouts of a Mr. Jack Burton or his truck? Oh, God, will you leave him alone? Mr. Shen, please. You could be in a great deal of trouble. Half a city block explodes in a ball of green flame. Green flame! I mean, so all hell is breaking loose here. And there are people who say you're involved, that you might be responsible, that you're a very dangerous man. Now, if you're protecting Jack you Burton... You leave Jack Burton alone. We are in his debt. He showed great courage. Okay, but if I'm going to be your attorney, there are a few things that I have to know that uh, still don't make any sense to me. Like, um, you really believe in magic? You mean Chinese black magic? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Are you still serious about this? And uh, monsters and ghosts as well, I suppose. Oh, sure, and sorcery. And I suppose that uh, you expect me to believe in sorcery as well. Of course. Why? Because it's real. How can I know that, Mr. Shen? How? Yes, how? Uh, help me out here. Please, how? 
See? There was nothing. But that's how it always begins. Very small. They added this scene in, though. This scene does feel out of place, and it when you find out like what the deal is with it, you're like, yeah, it does make sense that this was not originally a part of the I movie. Know, because what is this? I, and I remembered it when I got to the end. Who is this? What does this mean? Why are they having this interaction? According to Carpenter, the opening of the film with Egg Shen in the lawyer's office was added in at the request of 20th Century Fox executives in order to make Kurt Russell's character... Jack Burton more heroic. They didn't get the idea of Jack being a sidekick rather than a hero. Without the added scene, the film would have started with Jack driving to San Francisco, which it goes right into, but I'm not even really sure how it makes him more heroic other than to have people talking about him as if he is heroic, because that's really all that That happens. That has to be it, yeah. It's so bizarre. I know. Carpenter envisioned the film as an inverse of traditional scenarios in action films with a Caucasian protagonist helped by a minority sidekick. In Big Trouble in Little China, Jack Burton, despite his bravado, is constantly portrayed as rather bumbling. In one fight sequence, he knocks himself unconscious before the fight even begins. Wang Chi, on the other hand, is constantly portrayed as highly skilled and competent. That's right. On the commentary track for the DVD release, Carpenter said the film is really about a sidekick who thinks he is a leading man. According to Carpenter, the studio didn't get it and made him write something that would explain the character of Jack Burton, so he came up with the prologue, which I'm not really even sure how that helps, but they include it. Yeah, the only thing the prologue does for me is introduce the fact that there's going to be some supernatural element at play here. Yeah. The whole, like, Raiden thing. Well, it's not unlike the scene of the Boy Scouts at the beginning of the fog. Yeah, yeah. It's something that would happen a couple of different times in Carpenter's career, because I think there's another example in... Maybe Escape from New York. I can't remember which one of his other films, but there's another one that has like one of these weird added scenes somewhere where you're kind of like, what is this? And in The Fog, I think it just had to do with runtime. I know. They're like, we got to make this a little longer. Yeah, it's like 70 minutes. (laughs) Next, we see a big truck driving in the rain, gloomy and blue and wet. Another stellar Carpenter score getting us fired up seeing this truck come in. It's a whole buffet of... Very specific 80s sensations. You're sucked into the adventure. The Chinese characters in the main title at the opening translate to evil spirits make a big scene in little spiritual state. Okay. (laughs) So if that doesn't hook you in, I don't know what will. I like when the evil spirits make a big scene. Scenes. I've dated a few evil spirits who made a big scene. Sure. (laughs) Folks. We can relate. Truck driver Jack Burton, played by Kurt Russell. Drives into San Francisco, babbling into his CB radio nonstop. Oh, yeah. He likes to talk. Nobody ever seems to talk back. No, no. Well, they can't get a word in edgewise. He's driving the Pork Chop Express, as he calls it. He's just trying to take up as much CB airspace as he can. (laughs) He actually has a phobia about dead air. Yeah. The studio was interested in either Clint Eastwood or Jack Nicholson, but they allowed for Carpenter to cast his old running mate, Russell, when those other two proved to be unavailable. Oddly enough, Russell based a previous Carpenter collab, Snake Plissken, from Escape from New York, on Eastwood. He based Jack Burton on John Wayne. There's definitely a Clint Eastwood reference in this movie. That's true, but if you pay attention, you can notice a certain cadence. Yeah. When Burton talks where he's 
basically doing a John Wayne impression. Uh huh. It is weird how often when you go back and you dissect certain actors' performances, if you're told what they're doing, who right. they're imitating, you're like, oh, that's all they're doing here. Basically, Christian Slater is doing Jack Nicholson for most of the late 80s and early yeah. 90s. <laughs> you know, that's just what people would do. Right. And yeah, if you think about the John Wayne element and then listen to how Russell talks in this movie, there's definitely times where he's doing a John Wayne impression, mm-hmm. hands down. So some of the original Western cowboy stuff carried over. That's true. I also think that there are some leftovers visually that pop up a few times. Isn't there a guy who has basically like a six-gun yeah. draw thing going on? Right. Like, Russell actually turned down Highlander f- to be in big trouble in Little China and then went on a whole regime of lifting weights and running to get into appropriate shape. Oh, yeah, he is cut. Although the early exterior establishing scenes were filmed on location in Chinatown, most of the film was actually shot on sets built in the Fox lot in Los Angeles. Production designer John Lloyd designed the elaborate underground sets and recreated Chinatown with three-story buildings, roads, streetlights, sewers, and so on. This was necessary for the staging of complicated special effects and kung fu fight sequences that would have been very hard to do on location. This is one area where I never really get on a soapbox because I am open to both. I think everyone knows how we feel about CGI for the most part and how much of it is used and relied upon and how it can be annoying. But I do appreciate on-location shooting. Definitely. It feels like a completely different genre when you do that, though, versus building sets. Because at no point when they're underground in the cavern at the end of the movie, do I think that that's a real cave? Right, right. It doesn't look real. No. But by that point, a good 70 minutes into a 95-minute film, you've already seen all this other shit happen, and you just roll with it. Totally. And this is the world you're in. I don't think one is better than the other. No, they both They just fit into different worlds. Well, I think about it, Batman Returns versus The Dark Knight. One, this crazy soundstage version of Gotham and one just being Chicago and they're both awesome yeah they serve different masters they're just different things I I get if some people out there have a preference if they see the sets and they don't like it or they prefer the sets because it is nostalgic or they reminds them of different things or whatever but for me I think it's more a separation mm-hmm. when they're used effectively sets create their own genre you would never confuse Big Trouble in Little China for The Wire. Correct. Or like that. Yeah. It's just a different world. It, it's just different. When you're dealing in fantasy and science fiction and supernatural stuff, I think you can experiment with weird stuff more. There was definitely something going on during this time period. Not exactly sure when it started, but carried into the 90s. Now, I know this is a PG-13 movie. Seems like a decent amount of it targeted towards a younger audience. Sure. Martial arts really a big thing in movies for kids during this era. Oh yeah, for sure. There was definitely like a wave of martial arts starting to come to America. I think in the 80s there was a boom. Yeah. You see it with Karate Kid. I was a huge mark else. for it though. The Three Ninjas movies, all that stuff. <laughs> That's why I mean like I if I had watched this one, I don't think gauging from the cover though that I thought that martial arts was a part of it like at all or like Asian culture in any way. I don't think I got that, even though China is in the title. 
Yeah, well, the marketing really let you down. Yeah, they, they let did. themselves down. That's right. Frankly, they missed out on a buck or two from me. Jack, his buddy Wang Chi, played by Dennis Dunn, and some others stay up all night gambling, eventually leading to a big double or nothing bet over whether or not Wang can cut a glass bottle in half with a machete. <laughs> Hilarious bet. Jack wins the bet, and then to make sure Wang follows through on payment, Jack accompanies Wang to the airport to pick up his fiance Miao Yin. Heaven and earth, boys, what can I tell you? You like that one? Uh, <laughs> what do you say, Wayne? In English? Something about beginner's luck. Oh. But he quits. He quits? What is this? It's a brand new day and the man still got a hundred bucks in his pocket. What is this? I'm not gonna complain because I'll bet I'd have lost my shirt in the next 20 minutes. Ah, well, it breaks my heart to do this, Wang, but I figure next time I'm down here, you just gang up on poor old Jack so fast, he won't know what the hell happened. No. Ah, sure, easy come, easy go, huh, Wang? No! Not next time. Now. Is this gonna get ugly now, huh? I hope not, because I thought what we were here, racial differences notwithstanding, was just a couple of old friends, you know, just both of us Californians. Shit, Wang, it's only a game. Nothing or double. This knife cuts this bottle in half. Nothing or double. Bullshit. Nothing or double, Jack. Why, man? Don't be stupid. I need the money. I got near a thousand bucks here, Wang. One thousand one hundred forty-eight, Jack. Okay. But not that bottle. This bottle. Okay. You're out of your mind, Wang. God bless you. <laughs> it's all in the reflexes. It always works at home. Yeah, well, have me over for dinner some year and prove it. In the meantime, pay up 1,148 bucks times two. Yeah, hey, I don't have that kind of money, Jack. Uh, I didn't hear that, Wang. Hey, I'm just a poor old Chinese boy, you know? Yeah, you own a restaurant. That's a hell of a lot more than me. Oh, yeah, right. Hey, what I meant was, I don't got that kind of money on me. Well, that's what I thought you meant. Now, where's your truck parked? One of Jack's famous catchphrases, it's all in the reflexes. Yeah, which he has insane reflexes. Originally, Carpenter was very interested in casting Jackie Chan in the Wang Chi role. Chan had just come to prominence because of Police Story. Yeah. He was becoming like a huge international star, although the studio was a little hesitant because they didn't think Chan's English was good enough at this point. Turned out Jackie Chan turned them down anyway. Sure. But <laughs> there is a similar vibe to the early Jackie Chan movies where there's that weird, jokey goofiness to the fighting. Yeah. Well, I think his non-American films were a little... More serious. More serious, I yeah. think. I'm not a huge martial arts guy, to be honest. I haven't seen a lot of that stuff. At the airport, Jack gets a look at Gracie Law, played by Kim Cattrall. Great name. Which name? Gracie Law? Both. Gracie, Gracie Law, Law and playing Kim a lawyer? <laughs> yeah. I was like, who wrote this? Me? <laughs> Her last name, Gracie Lawyer Woman. 
Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you a serious question? Absolutely not. <laughs> That's a pretty great opening. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the changes Carpenter eventually put into the script was they wanted to connect Gracie Law to the Chinatown stuff more organically rather than just have her be an appendage to the whole thing, which makes it kind of weird because as a viewer, you're trying to decipher how Wang even knows who she is and why. He never really specifies. He's just like... Why they're all part of the same crew? She's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) That's like all he says. I know. Don't get involved with her. Yeah. The studio was hesitant to cast her as well because at this point, Catral was mostly known for TNA-type comedies like Porky's and Police Academy. Well, yeah, eventually you got to reward the people who are willing to do the hard work (laughs) in those movies. (laughs) I fucking love Kim Catral in this era, or in general, in general. But, man, she is so gorgeous in this movie. Mm -hmm. I know that we're going to turn into a pig cast and people are going to... Shut it off. Accuse us of professional sexism. Well, yeah. We're going to upgrade from casual, but whew. Yeah, I think it's fair to say. Very beautiful. I think we'd be remiss if we weren't commenting on the beauty here. And then you've got Jack coming up to her boozy, no sleep, <laughs> sweaty, yeah. unkempt, manly, rough and tumble. She's like, it's Miller time. She gets, gets a whiff of him. Yeah. Drunk. <laughs> Who drove you here? Oh, I was driving. I was driving a big rig. <laughs> Matter of fact. <laughs> Casually a menace to society. Whoa. Who is that? She has green eyes. You know how rare that is, Jack? How can you tell from here? Not her. She's trouble. Meow Yin. Beautiful green eyes, like creamy jade. Trouble, huh? Can I ask you a serious question? Absolutely not. Well, then would you ever consider just jumping right into Sure, this? but never with a person in your condition. Let's talk about my condition, just what's wrong with it. You should try standing down when where I am. It's Miller time. You know what I say when it's Miller time? Huh? Wait a minute. Hey! Don't. Don't what? Lords of Death, street gang, punks from Chinatown. This isn't good. What are they doing here? At the airport, three members of a Chinese-American street gang, the Lords of Death, attempt to kidnap the girl Gracie was there to pick up. And when Jack intervenes, they scramble and snag Miao Yin instead. Yeah, things get out of hand quickly here. Yeah, if I was going to have any note on the script and say, you need to clear this up a little bit better, it's that you need to find a way to explain to the audience that Everything to do with Lopan later mm-hmm. was not in the works yet. You get that vibe of like, okay, they're stealing a potential yeah, bride. It's but part of a bigger plan. That hasn't happened yet because they're just stealing a woman to basically sex traffic, unfortunately. But that's, just that. that is yeah. what they're doing. Right. It doesn't become an issue with Lopan until yeah. he peeps the green eyes I of know. the girl they end up with. I was thinking that the beginning of this actually kind of starts off like Taken, like the Liam Neeson movie. Well, I'm just saying that I think to like your average viewer, this gets all kind of confusing and convoluted. Because you have one yeah. group of thugs who steal a woman, 
But then the Lords of Death really don't factor in much at any other point and are basically irrelevant. Mm -hmm. They just do the bidding of Lopan and his three storms and the whole deal. But to the viewer, they're probably thinking this was a set plan to steal a bride for Lopan, but then you get into the whole green eyes thing, and then this other girl doesn't have green eyes, and you realize that that whole part of it hasn't even hatched yet, which I think is a little clumsy, because usually you want more of a straight line of these things, these events all leading towards one thing. Right. The fact that this is like random and then unrelated it isn't a huge deal. Ninety nine percent of people, especially kids, are this is gonna go right by them. Who this cares? Ruined the movie. No, it's just no, I know. It's not a ruining thing. It's just it needs to be cleaner, I feel like. I agree. Because it's sort of a strange opening and then they're like, Oh, but then Lopan found this other girl who they took instead and she's got green eyes. Mm-hmm. And so now we're gonna do this story. <laughs> I wouldn't have even made there be another girl. Yeah, I know. I don't know why this is not just the kidnapping. Just make them right. kidnap her because they knew she had green eyes. I think that just makes it easier. Agreed. You don't even have to include the Lords of Death. Make it the fucking Storms. This is all overly complicated, I think. <laughs> I agree. And so we're right in it, though. They took Mao Yin, Wang's fiance. An adventure has been thrust upon us. The score starts ramping up. The thieves make a daring and dangerous escape from the airport. The kidnappers barely miss smashing our heroes Jack and Wang with their car, which if you pay close attention, you can kind of tell they did that shot in reverse because they didn't actually have like money for stunt doubles. So they're <laughs> like, well, how do we do this safely? It's like, oh, let's just do it all in reverse. And you can kind of tell. Okay. Jack and Wang track the Lords of Death to Chinatown where they inadvertently end up in the middle of a funeral procession. The funeral quickly devolves into a massive battle between... Yeah. The Chang Sing, who I put parentheses, good guys. Totally. And Wing Kong, parentheses, bad guys. Gotcha. Two ancient Chinese warrior societies. Yeah, very uh, claustrophobic are in the streets here. It's almost as if it's a set. Yes. <laughs> Not an actual <laughs> it street. Like the, yeah, it feels like you're running out of road. There's no sky up above. Right. <laughs> when the three storms, thunder, rain, and lightning, warriors with weather-themed powers join the fray, slaughtering the Chang Sing. Jack attempts to gun his big rig through the crowd. He ends up running over Lopan, played by James Hung, a mysterious man directing the three storms. Horrified, Jack exits his truck but finds Lopan uninjured and glowing with magic energy. Wang hurriedly guides Jack through the alleys and the two manage to escape. However, Jack's truck is lost to the melee. James Hung shockingly still alive wow, and still on the scene, just in everything, everywhere, all at once. So he's out and about. I, of course, associate him with the Chinese restaurant episode of Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) One of the all-time great moments. The Three Storms were partly the inspiration for the popular character of lightning god Raiden, from Mortal Kombat. You do get that vibe. While David Lopan was the inspiration for the evil sorcerer Shang Tsung. Oh, yeah. This movie was a huge inspiration on Mortal Kombat. Well, Lopan was also reminding me of freaking Wayland a little bit from Prometheus. Because he's all like old trying to figure out a way to preserve himself. Sure, yeah. Wang takes Jack to his restaurant where they meet up with Gracie, who is now involving herself in Meow Yin's kidnapping since she was at the scene plus Wang's friend Eddie Lee. 
Jack is primarily interested in getting his truck back, but learns it's been stolen. The group does their best to explain to Jack the ancient knowledge and sorcery the Chinese brought with them to America. He's really just interested in getting his truck back, though. I thought it was funny when they launch into this whole thing, talking about the sorcery and all this magical shit. He just is looking at them and goes, what? (laughs) (laughs) The group then devises a plan to infiltrate a brothel where they believe Mao Yin is being held. How do you do, ma'am? Henry Swanson's my name, and excitement's my game. Cash or charge? Oh, gosh. Cash, I guess. I mean, it's not deductible, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. O'Toole will take care of your needs. Boy, you know, I wish these were in color, because what I really am sort of in the mood for is a girl with green eyes. And price is no object, Mrs. O'Toole. Fresh off the boats the way I like them. The more exotic, the better. Chinese girls do not come with green eyes. Too long, let's go in. It's only been 10 minutes. Give the guy a chance. So how long you been in the U.S. of A? Three months. Where from? Hong Kong. <laughs> what happens? You, uh, you stay here a while, old girls leave, new girls come in, or...? Maybe. Take your tie off, please. Yeah, I know what you mean. My wife gave it to me for Christmas. Yeah, it's one of those things where they don't get into specifics, but the darkness is there for a PG-13 movie where you're, if you're able to put the pieces together, then you know what's happening, but I think they assume most kids won't. But if you eliminate all of the low pan, three storms, green eyes shit for a minute, and you just think about the Lords of Death taking this girl from I know. the airport who is an immigrant... The dark sex trade. Yeah, she's just being sucked right into it. I know. It's, like, really horrible. There's a lot of peripheral characters that get added to the movie for no real reason. Not that I mind having them. Just brief encounters. But people just show up and tag along. Eddie Lee, Margot, who is Gracie's friend. She's a journalist played by Kate Burton, which is weird that her last name is Burton. Yeah, but she's fun and bubbly. I guess. Yeah, I think so. But this is the first time we start hearing the whole thing about the green eyes. And for Asian women, it's uncommon to have green eyes. So Miao Yin is unique in that sense, but it's also highly dangerous because, as we're going to learn, that is sort of a, a deal-breaker type situation for Lo Pan getting involved. Totally. As soon as he hears there's green eyes on the scene. Although, <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say that the movie is sort of weird sometimes I'd about say. the green eye thing because... They make it a point to say that 
not a lot of women in Asia have green eyes. Right. Chinese women in China, whatever. So Miao Yin is sort of rare in that sense. Fine. I get it. But then later in the film, with the whole situation with Gracie and her green eyes, now Lopan's been living in San Francisco for how long? He's never seen anyone else with green eyes? You're telling me it didn't have to be a Chinese girl? <laughs> I know. Like, wait a minute. And then it, the green eyes thing feels less significant. Right. Because it, it's made out to be like a unicorn situation. Now, even in America, I think more people have blue and brown eyes, but... San Francisco's a pretty big city. Gotta have some green eyes out there. <laughs> yeah. So It's sort of weird that they make a big deal about it, but then they're like, oh, well, this white chick has green eyes, too. Let's bring her along as well. Lopan's like, I wasted a thousand years before it <laughs> dawned on me. I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah. The plan to retrieve Mao Yin is interrupted by the three storms who dramatically sees the girl from the brothel first arriving in a giant green cloud of mist and then crashing through the building's ceilings to snatch her up. Their plan now is to bring Miao Yin to Lo Pan because he's the one searching for the green eyes. Seems like a strategic mission they've got going on here. Two of them drop in to distract Jack Burton while the other one grabs and goes. Jack... With the glasses as his disguise. He's wearing a suit that I believe Kurt Russell wore in used cars. Oh, wow. I thought I saw that somewhere. Looking like a complete nerd, but then being way too specific with the madam. Which is something that would happen to me. Yeah. (laughs) Raising suspicion. I need a new girl who's just fresh into America with green eyes. Please. (laughs) They're like, oh, yeah, that isn't suspicious Yeah, we only get one of those every 20 years. Maybe more than 20. This might have been the first time ever. Yeah, true. Now it's time for some more regroup time. Gracie saying anytime they make plans, she's like, I can't go. They know me. They know my face. And the second time, whenever they're coming with a new plan, she starts to say something and Jack cuts her off. Yeah, I know. There's a problem with your face. (laughs) (laughs) The next move is for Jack and Wang to impersonate telephone repairmen to gain access to a front business used by Lopan. Meanwhile, Egg Shen joins Gracie, Eddie Lee, and all that crew. Yeah, the crew just continues to grow. Shen is the local authority on all things mysticism and Lopan. Has very handy magical balls that he throws at things. He's got a little bit of magic. Yeah. He makes the case that Lopan is not a man, but a creature of darkness and evil spirit. Are we sure we want to trifle with this person then? So if you've never seen Big Trouble in China, or it's been a long time, you're probably thinking, holy shit, man, how did we get this far into it? You guys usually do your spiels. This would take forever. I don't We're not that deep into the movie, but yet it just moves. And I I can really appreciate the breakneck pace. pace. Yeah. That's definitely a Carpenter thing. For sure. Never mind the bullshit. We are straight to the point. That's right. This movie is lean and mean. Jack and Wang discover a secret elevator and really get themselves deeper and deeper into the building they've infiltrated, believing themselves to be on Miao Yin's trail, but then they end up finding themselves in a place called Hell of the Upside-Down Sinners. Mm, There's several hells. Which is a room of salt water with these guys that are rotting away, chained down in the water. Now, 
this is something that will come up a couple of times, and we've talked about it before when it comes to Buffalo Bills basement and Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. This building that they're in now, which will take up much of, of the rest of the film over a couple of different segments. Impractical architecture? What is this building? <laughs> it is insane. Yeah, yeah. It's as big as an entire city. I know. It's hard to tell at any given point where they are in the building in terms no, of like- No, no yeah, way. Yeah. So many levels below ground, above yeah. ground- Huge rooms, rooms filled with water. I know. Impossible to tell what the fuck's going on. Which is kind of cool, though. You like right. to be in these weird situations. No one's sitting there at home thinking, man, this movie's unrealistic. It's like, yeah, we know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's like, just a, it's one of those kind of movies. Guys so, shooting lightning bolts out their fingers. So let's just make a cool, unique world that they're in. Like, its own building. Right, right. Like, it's all housed in there. Our heroes are discovered, subdued, and beaten by rain and thunder. Tied down, they are then introduced to Lopan. However, he is no longer the man from the street. He now appears ancient and crippled, using a motorized wheelchair for movement. Look, we came here to see David Lopan, all right? Ah, David Lopan? You have succeeded, Mr. Burton. What, you? I don't get this at all. I thought Lopin... Shut up, Mr. Burton. You are not brought upon this world to get it. Come on, Lopin is like... Nothing uh... you can understand. There are many mysteries, many unanswerable questions, even in a life as short as yours. Yeah, well, the way I see it doesn't mean we shouldn't ask. Like, where's my truck? You're not looking for a truck. You're looking for a girl. A girl with green eyes. Yes. She must be something extraordinary. Oh, I'm not about to waste another 2,000 years. Oh, there can't be many Chinese girls running around with green eyes these days. There are not everywhere. So beggars can't be choosers. But I can. Tell me about Miao Yen. What province is she from? Hunan? The mother? The father? He must be a holy man. I must know. You got a tongue, Dave. Ask her yourself. You <laughs> If you have an influence over your youthful friend, you better exert it now. Otherwise, I will have both of you roll off to the hell where people are skinned alive. It's that simple, understand? Are you crazy? Is that your problem? No, he means it, Jack. My problem is this place. This place is my tomb. I'm buried here. A young man, a king, a warrior, is entombed in this old man's crippled body. And all I need is a woman. Mr. Burton, a special kind of woman with dragon green eyes to make me old again, young again, so that I may rule the universe from beyond this grave. Ching Dai, the god of the east. Ooh, him? This guy? No, not me, Mr. Burton. My demon, the god I must appease in order to regain my heart, my blood. A girl with green eyes to satisfy Ching Dai. A girl brave enough to embrace the naked blade. And when I find her, I will marry her. Never! I think I will be happy and my curse will be lifted. Go off and rule the universe from beyond the grave. Indeed! Or check into a psycho war, whichever comes first, huh? Jack, will you... Jack! What, I'm supposed to buy this shit? 2,000 years and he can't find one broad to fit the bill? Come on, Dave, you must be doing something seriously wrong. There have been others, to be sure. There are always others, are there not? You seem to be one who know the difficulties between men and women, how seldom it works out. Yet, 
I'll keep trying, by fools. <laughs> Who are these people? Friends of yours, huh? Now, this really pisses me off to no end. Come on, stick around. Where's Melian? In this building? Safe. Where is she? Safe. Safer with me than any creature I've heard. I think with James Hong's performance in the film, he's sort of the key to reminding you that this movie is comedic. You don't need to take it super seriously. It's supposed to be funny and fun and weird. You're not supposed to spend a lot of time thinking about what was happening back at that brothel in those women's lives. No. He's doing crazy line deliveries, really eating it up and having fun as the old man. He's not particularly scary or menacing in these scenes. He's supposed to be funny. Here's the deal. Lopan needs a green-eyed girl to break an ancient curse. That's where Miao Yin comes into the equation. Lopan intends to sacrifice her. Centuries ago, Lopan was defeated by Emperor Quin Shi Huang, who then cursed Lopan with incorporeality, which means you don't have a body anymore. (laughs) Although he can be temporarily granted a decrepit body by supplication to the gods. So he jumps into these old weird bodies. Right. He can permanently break the curse, though, by marrying a woman with green eyes and then sacrificing her immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Some honeymoon. That's summarizing what his plan is. Gracie, Eddie Lee, and Margot arrive in an attempt to save Jack and Wang because they're afraid it's taking too long. But, of course, they're spotted immediately, gassed in an elevator, and then are also captured. It is surprising that they're not killed along the way here. (laughs) Well... Yeah. Two of them are chicks. That's right. They got a business to run. Eddie is brought up to where Jack and Wang are being kept, and together the three of them get the drop on Thunder and make their escape. I just made a note here that says, cool shit alert. Ha! Lopan turns young again, light pouring out of his eyes and mouth. He then floats and passes through walls. He goes into a room where Miao Yin is unconscious but hovering three feet off of the ground. You realize that this is when Lopan doesn't have a body, and he is yes floating like a ghost, and he's able to go through this stuff. But it's really cool. There's all these little weird moments. There's lots of monsters and bugs and yeah, weird, weird effects yeah. and crazy shit. And then the look of Lopan when he's old, but then when that light is just in place of his eyes and mouth, it looks really weird. The blob that floats. Yeah, the eyeball thing. Yeah. And then they have these weird comedic elements. Kurt Russell's sort of bumbling around, but he thinks he's cool and tough. And I think that it's subtle enough where at least 50% of the audience isn't even picking up on that. And they just sure. assume he's the hero because right. that's what they're conditioned to. Because he's the lead and he cut the sleeves off his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> While Wang and Eddie do battle with the female guards, Jack frees a bunch of women from cages, including Margot and Gracie. This is a wild moment here because Gracie is in full-on bondage situation. She's like hogtied. I know, with like her legs up backwards, yeah. This is explained in a deleted scene, and okay. then when you delete the scenes, you're kind of just left with these oddball little things. Like, why is she the only one tied up like that? Right. It's basically because she was fucking talking shit, you know. Of course. I think Margot refers to her as a wildcat <laughs> in these moments. She's got spunk. So she was making trouble and making a scene, and they they tied her up. We'll show you. They make a a run through the building, and then they end up going into this like water escape. 
I don't know what this building is. A lot of now there's water. this water. Yeah. They're going through underground tunnels. A lot of, of water. random tanks of water. Jack and Gracie share a kiss on the way out. And that whole buildup is so bizarre because everyone kind of goes through the same process of dunking under. You seemingly have to swim under a certain part of it and then you can resurface. Yeah. And everyone is coming up sort of rhythmically in a, in an order and she keeps being concerned about Jack and then he's like delayed coming up and she, I think she like, was worried that he wasn't coming yeah or that he got killed well to build upon what we discussed a little bit between April O'Neil and Casey Jones in the Ninja Turtles movie i definitely think that this is a little bit of a play on the moonlighting relationship they do snipe at each other and have the good-natured jabs definitely and you're building up to the will they won't they of it all, but then they do kiss pretty early on, about yeah. halfway through the movie. They've and you're got like, that okay. sexual tension building, but it, she keeps pushing it away. Then he acts like he's not interested. <laughs> I don't know that he's never not interested, but well, he acts too cool. Yeah. All right, we're almost out of here. Now, from here on, it gets pretty normal. Offices, storerooms, a nice false front. I count to three. Hello, phone yeah, I open that door, and we move out. out. Everybody got that. Ready? Follow the leader. One, two, three. <laughs> we may be trapped. Jack and Wang fight off some of Lopan's men. Jack can use a gun, but Wang then handles all of the actual hand-to-hand combat. I know. He's running around trying to get weapons ready to engage in combat here, and by the time he's there, it's just over, settled. There's then an Argo-esque run to Egg Shen's waiting bus. Jack, Wang, Margo, Eddie, and the freed women make it out alive. However, Gracie is recaptured by an orangutan-like wild man (laughs) creature. Yeah, just an arm just pulls her as she's walking down the hallway. This is wild and comes out of nowhere. It's basically Chewbacca gone wrong. An ape man who looks terrifying. I said, you know what? If you wanted to know what Matt and I look like, just take Zach (laughs) plus Matt equals this thing. (laughs) Just a monster. So they lost Gracie and failed to rescue Mao Yin at all, who was not actually being kept with the other ladies. But on the plus side, Fever Dream confirmed for sure oh, with yeah. this movie. Right. Confirmed now that we've got the ape man involved. <laughs> Gracie is brought to Lopan, who notices that she also has green eyes. Two girls with green eyes. I guess uh, Lopan is particular about something. Two Girls with Green Eyes. That actually was the name of my second solo acoustic EP, by the way, (laughs) just for anyone who was interested. Zero copies sold. (laughs) Zero copies distributed, even. I tried to hand them out for free. People were like, no, no more of this. The first one was bad enough. (laughs) The Brides of Lopan must have green eyes, yet Kim Cattrall and Susie Pye who plays Miao Yin, both have brown eyes. They wore green contacts for the movie. It's a little more obvious in the high-definition versions of the film. Hmm. But whatever. Yeah. I don't really think that's a big deal. They could have tried to cast somebody with green eyes. 
I do enjoy Margot operating as Gracie's proxy in Gracie's absence in terms of giving Jack shit. Definitely. Margot just sort of steps in and acts like Gracie for a few minutes. Yes. Margot also is like oddly interested in getting Jack and Gracie together. Yeah. Well, you know, two beautiful people. (laughs) We all just know what needs to happen. Okay. The introduction of Miss Gracie Law into Lopan's universe sparks a sudden change in plans. Since Gracie has green eyes too, he decides that he will marry both of them and then <laughs> sacrifice Gracie while making Miao Yin his wife for his for earthly, earthly pleasures. pleasures. Yeah, that line <laughs> stood out to me. Horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, wow, I really came out on top on this one. Yeah, he's living the dream. Both of these women are insanely beautiful. Totally. Wang and Jack regroup and are now joined by the Chang Sing and Egg Shen. All of them together enter an underground cavern to return to Lo Pan's headquarters. So this is all Egg Shen's doing. He's like, you know what? We can't just go knock on their fucking front door. This ends tonight. <laughs> so let's go this way. Meanwhile, they got to go through the fucking Earth's core. To get to this place. I know. They're like, where the fuck are we? This is under San Francisco. Who dug these tunnels? I know. There's like lights in some of it. It's left over from the gold rush. I guess, yeah. That is not water. Black blood of the earth. What you mean, oil? I mean black blood of the earth. Two thousand years ago, huge earthquakes turned the world upside down. Many normal people were killed. Many unnatural people roamed free to commit great offenses against the gods. I can't even really explain what's going on with <laughs> Lopan and then the Three Storms and then Gracie and Miao Yin. They're doing some weird tests with the blades. Thunder and some of those dudes are making just the girls of... levitate, right? Yeah, but like before that. Okay. When they're doing the whole yeah. thing with the swords and then going up to them and it seems like the gals are both hypnotized or something. Yeah, at a certain point their eyes are just closed like forcefully. One guy constantly no shirt. I Love don't it. really understand what yeah. he's doing. I give him credit. But this leads to them floating in the air and then they're I guess done up for the wedding ceremony. This movie is one of those movies that dances on some lines that I think in 2023, some people get uptight about it. You do have Kim Cattrall dressed in the same traditional look as Miao Yin. To be fair to her, though, she was forced into this outfit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a fictional film, Matt, written by white people. Yeah, I know. There's a little bit of a cultural appropriation situation here. I don't really think this movie is particularly offensive or anything, but that's just my take. I'm sure that Asian Americans and Chinese Americans and Chinese people in general probably have different opinions on it, but it could be way worse. I'll say that. But is it a little weird to have white guys writing about all this Chinese mysticism and ancient sorcery and all this weird shit? Yeah, but as far as that stuff goes, at least it's not like Ninja Turtles. They have... Chinese heroes. Absolutely. Most of the More cast so, yeah. is not white or not American. So 
they definitely filled the movie with the appropriate people. I think people are, in general, just a little overly sensitive about it and, and touchy. But I, I really don't think there's much in the movie to get too upset about it. I, I just think that in today's day and age, when it cuts to the two brides and they're right. done up in the traditional garb and the makeup and the yeah. whole thing, and you see Kim Cattrall, you do immediately think, like, okay, well, that probably wouldn't it's, be something uh, they do now. Raising some eyebrows. But who knows? Yeah. A lot of times we as Americans get like very overly concerned about this stuff. And then to the other cultures, it's not really offensive at all. They like to see other people try their culture and try their things. Uh-huh. So I, I don't know. I'm not an expert on what people think, what people think yeah. or what is happening in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Same from a cultural perspective. Yeah. I at least get the basic story, but yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the makeup signifies, but they're both done up the same way. Uh-huh. And their eyes are all white now, right, signifying that they're completely gone. Kind of creepy. Yeah. Yeah. You were saying, though, off mic, that you would prefer if all women were kind of like that, though. Well, it does seem Not like life would be easier, and... yeah. <laughs> no expression, no <Yeah>. talking. <laughs> Which is basically what people write into the show about me. <laughs> Like, this show would be better if there was, like, a little bit less Matt. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a problem when he says, I'm Matt. Everything else, though. After that, <laughs> you should just stop there. Down in the cavern, there's a lot of weird shit going on. you got this giant bug coming out of the wall. Yes. And I feel like Jack is the only person reacting to it appropriately. Like, what the fuck was that? Well, everyone else is brave. That's true. They yeah. do highlight that he's more afraid than everyone else, which I also think is kind of funny. There's a lot of emphasis on his fears and self-doubts and stuff, too, which I think is kind of fun. And Definitely. Cool. And it makes you relate to the character more. Yeah, yeah. The idea is like, oh, this guy thinks he's Indiana Jones, but it's really more like he's like us. Uh-huh. And we think we're Indiana Jones. Right. And that's how it would be. Egg Shen's got a magic potion for everyone to drink. It's going to help everyone level up. Get ready for this final showdown. <laughs> a magic potion. It's the master again. That hooch. <laughs> yeah, it's actually just ethanol and paint thinner yeah. and all kinds of different shit. Once they make it into the actual lair, they come face to face with a giant eyeball blob thing. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of it is whatever it sees, Lopan knows. So it's basically like a, well, it's a, like commu- a communication system to Lopan. Mordor. One of the more difficult effects was the floating eyeball, a spy for Lopan. It was powered by several puppeteers and dozens of cables to control its facial expressions. It was shot with a matting system specifically designed for it. Just sort of a weird villain to introduce, though, <laughs> this floating eyeball thing. Well, they just wanted all kinds of weird shit to happen. Yeah. I think the script initially had even more stuff, action sequences, different stuff, but they had to rein it in a little bit because mm-hmm. of the budget. Yeah, this motherfucker up here, having his cake and eating it too. Definitely. He found two green-eyed ladies who passed the test. They could handle the naked blade, or whatever he keeps saying. <laughs> Everyone's right. like, all right, we got it with the naked the blade. The naked just blade, like isn't there like that. a love needle too? Yeah, that hasn't happened yeah, yet. Yeah. But you can see from Susie Pie's, I, I, I say pie, I'm not, it's P-A-I. You can see from her face, the actress, that she was actually like, all right, like, she winces at one point. Like, I know. all right, dude, you're stabbing me. <laughs> yeah. 
she definitely breaks for a second because I saw that online and then I was paying attention. And then yeah, he's like grabbing okay. her wrist and like jamming it, I and then you see her face yet. go, <laughs> "Ouch!" All in all, pretty cool marriage room. I'd say so. Very a romantic. Giant room, <laughs> a dragon type skull thing that they yeah. can kind of come out like an escalator. I'm not really sure, yeah. but then like it's sort of stones, like stone heads and statues, but then lined with that green neon light thing. Well, even this main room that they're in, it's like that basement in the Suspiria remake. <laughs> like this is where we're hanging out. Yeah, there's just a lot going on in this building. It's the biggest building on Earth. Yeah, for sure, by far. Our heroes interrupt the wedding, and a battle ensues. Jack knocks himself unconscious right as it's starting. Sort of like Tyrion. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Although he is back up and going pretty quick. He is like kind of a part of it still. He just knocks himself out at the beginning. Thanks to the potion, Wang is able to handle rain one-on-one in a sword duel. a million back handsprings. A lot of back handsprings, a lot of jumping around. (laughs) Lopan regains his corporeal form by consuming a few drops of Miao Yin's blood. He and Egg Shen do battle via magical projections. Not really sure how else to explain that little moment where they're like playing a video game mm-hmm. with their hands or something. Right. It's kind of hard to explain. Wang kills Rain, and then he, a reawakened Jack, and Gracie chase Lopan, who runs off with Miao Yin. <laughs> Grace. You all right? Never mind me. We gotta get Lopan. Where is he? Wait! Come on. Oh, work. Come on. You don't hide. Oh God, Chad. Slow pants office. It's cooler up there. From, from there we can. Do you have a gun? I hope. I have a knife. A knife? This guy's twelve feet tall. Seven. Hey, don't worry. I can handle him. I took something. I can see things no one else can see. Why are you dressed like that? I, I, I was getting married. He, he was marrying both of us just because uh, my eyes are green too. I guess. I mean. This is when Jack is able to secure a second kiss from Gracie. That's right. Sparks are really flying now. It's a really fun moment, too, because he's got the lipstick all over his face. I know. And that bit of it coming off of Kim Cattrall and on to Kurt Russell wasn't actually a planned joke, but then it turned into something they improvised when they saw the makeup used on the actress would come off so easily. They were like, you got to just keep this all over your face. Carpenter noted that it's just another example of how certain actors won't let themselves look like a fool and why Russell was such a perfect choice for the Jack Burton role because he was willing to go with it. Definitely. Yeah, that's one of those surprising things that you'll hear stories about sometimes where actors who seem cool 
and seem to just want to do good work and want the project to be cool, they sort of start to become marks for themselves. Oh, just yeah. like Am I going over? Anybody else. Yeah, <laughs> like they don't want to look like an idiot, even if that's funny and will actually make more people like them. Right. They develop that weird ego thing where they need to be the hero, but they also need to look cool the whole time. And it gets kind of boring. Having characters that are a little bit flawed, like Jack Burton, is way more fun. Yeah, Russell didn't come into the project saying, you have to make Jack Burton look strong. <laughs> you know what Jack Burton always says? Who? <laughs> Jack Burton. Me. <laughs> Thunder squares off with Wang and Lopan attempts to kill Jack with a throwing knife, one that Jack had actually thrown at him first and missed. <laughs> But Jack catches Lopan's throw and throws it back, killing the evil wizard. Yeah, and that is the one over-the-top hero-like quality that yeah. Jack has. They had to His give him that. reflexes are insane. And we see it earlier with the bottle. That it's they all in the reflexes. Trying to break with a machete that he c- catches, even though it seems like it's coming like 97 miles an hour at him. And then, yeah, this move where it's just the immediate catch and flip the knife back and... Yeah, Just well, the they day. had to make him seem like a bumbling idiot the whole time, but they needed to give you proof, so they set up the bottle scene yep. that he could do something like this. And I guess that makes sense, because the first time that we even hear him talking on the CB radio, he's like waxing poetic about <laughs> what a great driver he is, because he can <laughs> see all this stuff and has the reflexes and everything else. He's got those Jedi-like reflexes. Thunder reappears, and enraged at finding Lopan dead swells up and explodes <laughs> yeah i just wrote parentheses yep a really slow build they had plenty they of time to run away having an explosion meltdown earlier so it didn't come out of nowhere entirely although it's not like you could prepare the audience no. for that and from the first one i didn't think that this is where that was heading well no you wouldn't think right that, but they wanted to let you know it's something it's on the does. table he yeah. swells up yeah when he gets mad <laughs> Jack, Wang, Gracie, and Miao Yin are cornered by lightning in a corridor who triggers a collapse. It's a literal labyrinth, this fucking place. How the fuck are they ever going to figure out how to get out of here as no. it's collapsing? I don't know. Egg ends up rescuing them with a rope and then kills lightning by dropping a Buddha statue on him when he tries to follow. Yeah. My not, note here, where the fuck has Lightning even been? I know. Not a great showing from our entire villain group. Rain and Thunder have been around consistently since yeah. we first saw the storms. I don't think we've seen Lightning until Mao Yin was abducted. Just not really great at having a united front as a crew. They, well, they have to fight them one at a time. Yeah. <laughs> There's no other way. After finding Jack's truck and dealing with the remaining Wing Kong guards, the group escapes back to Wang's restaurant. What are you doing, Jack? I'll be right back. Hey, where are you going, Egg? Well, my work's done. Lopan is dead, and the evil spell's been lifted. Years ago, I promised myself a long vacation, and it's time to collect. Well, why don't you go on over to China, visit the motherland? 
Well, China's in the heart, Jack. Wherever I go, she's with me. So, what are you going to call it? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you can come over to my place later and help me find a title. Hey, Jack. Nothing or triple? Nothing or double. Triple. You earned it. You're right, I did. Thanks, Wang. Well, last chance. I'm a rich man now. Give up the open road, sell my truck, settle down. Couldn't have that in my conscience. The only way it might work is if you buy a bigger truck. One with a cozy little apartment in back, just big enough for two. Sounds pretty great. But you know something? Sooner or later, I rub everybody the wrong way, and... Well, let me think about it. God, aren't you even going to kiss her goodbye? Nope. See you around, Burton. Never can tell. Bye, Jack. We really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't we, Wang? No horseshit, Jack. No horseshit. The group celebrates in the restaurant. Wang and Miao Yin prepare to marry while Eddie pairs with Margot. Egg plans on going on an extended vacation, which he's been promising himself for years once he finally took care of this. Yeah. I'm glad that they all are spending this time like talking about their plans. <laughs> Gracie and Jack can't figure out what to do, and Jack ends up leaving alone without even a goodbye kiss, which drives Margot insane. Yeah, this is like some next level pickup artist shit. All right, I'm piecing. Yeah, you know. the next time he rolls through town, she's going to be like her character in fucking Porky. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Gracie Law moon. is going to be thinking about this dude for months. <laughs> The orangutan monster man ends up still being alive and f appears for the final little scare moment as it's been stowed away on Jack's truck. He's oblivious, driving out of the city, once again talking nonstop on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Just really full of himself. Yeah. Do you think it hurts the movie at all to not leave it with Jack and Gracie together? Is this the movie where that's so. more fun? I don't think it hurts. I do think it's the movie where it's more fun. Maybe it's a little disappointing, but you already had the moment. I feel like the lipstick moment. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe if you're fucking 12, but... Yeah, yeah. Once you get older, you're like, he didn't even have sex with her once. Well, no. I'm thinking of the... What's... He's just planting a seed. She's a goddamn lawyer, and she looks like that. I don't think she's going to be single for very long. <laughs> He's going to be stuck in her mind. <laughs> maybe. After I this think move. He's kind of right, though, when he says, most people get tired of me when they spend time with me. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, I kind of think she'd lose interest pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock and Speed. You right. know they're going to be good for a while, but yeah. they're bonded together. I guess it's true. Eventually, you're going to be like, you know what? This isn't for me. Yep. He has a moment right now. He needs to strike while the iron's yeah, that's hot. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you're right. Just All wait right. till she makes you leave San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait till she throws your drunk ass out. Anywho, that'll, that's your picture. 
There you go. In and out, nice and clean. Quick, it's love barely it. over ninety minutes. It's a really tight film. Very easy watch. Other it, than all the weirdness, of course. Well, I think that's what makes it fun yeah. and memorable. It's very nostalgic, which is weird because it's a movie I did not see until I was much older. I didn't see it in the eighties or no, even no. probably the nineties. I probably didn't even see it into the two thousands. Like I said, missed opportunity for me as a youth. Yeah. But once you watch it, I don't know how to say it. It's, it's, it's just more definitive of the 80s than almost anything I can think of. It just fits right alongside Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, whatever. And yet, it didn't make any money. It wasn't a hit. I think it's definitely a lower budget, lower scale movie than some of the other stuff. But man, it's a lot of fun. I think it has just the right amount of humor, but also weird shit with yeah. the monsters and the creepy, gooey, different shit in it, whatever. I know the vibe is weird, but it's a familiar one. Well, yeah, this was a time where you could experiment a little bit more with that. I think now you're talking much more paint-by-numbers, straightforward. If they ever get around to this goddamn fucking remake that they've been talking about for years, I'm sure it will be much more normal and straightforward. The lead of the movie is supposedly going to be the rock so oh, wow. you know he's yeah. not going to be like goofy or weird it's going to be like i have to he's be going the hero. over yeah i need a rock bottom everybody in june 2015 the rap reported that dwayne johnson was developing a remake to star as jack burton and produce with his seven bucks production film studio they hired some screenwriters in an interview with entertainment weekly johnson expressed interest in having carpenter involved in the film Carpenter responded, stating, It's very early in the process. I haven't spoken to Dwayne Johnson about any of this. I'm ambivalent about a remake. Basically, if you open up that checkbook, then yeah, maybe yeah. we can start talking about my involvement. It's <laughs> right. like the Halloween reboot from 2018. Uh-huh. By August of 2018, Seven Bucks production president Hiram Garcia clarified that the film will be a sequel and a continuation of the previous film. Oh, the creative minds behind the new film acknowledge that they have no intention of replacing Kurt Russell by recasting Johnson as Jack Burton, but will make a follow-up movie to the original. And that is what? Now, that's coming up on five years ago. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. 2018. So it's slow. We know that. It's one of those things, though, where it is sort of... I am interested in Russell coming back. Comparable to Blade Runner 2049 or something where... Do they overestimate how much the cult following means in terms of current-day box yeah. office? I think that would be a fair concern. Do you go all out and you make a huge $150 million movie starring Oof. The Rock? Well, I don't think yeah. The Rock's going to be in a movie that's like less than that. Oh, That'd be true. like the floor, yeah. probably. I guess, if well, if The if the Rock is in it, it's making money. Maybe. You think? He's had some bombs, true. for sure. I don't know. It's a tough call. I always cringe a little bit at these things where it's a cult classic or something that got bigger later because then it's really hard to gauge how much actual interest there would be in a reboot, sequel, remake, whatever. I don't know. I think all of the fun DIY campiness, the sets, right. the way things looked, the 80s of it all, I just don't think I that's something you can recreate It's all. It's hard to even recapture this tone right now yeah. in the modern landscape. I have a feeling it would probably be a disaster. I think The Rock seems like a cool guy. I know that he's going through a rough time right now with the whole DC fiasco, and people are kind of turning on him. But I think ultimately he seems like kind of a cool dude. But like nothing he's been in, 
gives me confidence that this would be good. Well, yeah. He's not someone that I think of quality no. films for the most part. I do like some of the stuff he's in, but most of it is garbage. Anywho, that'll do it for Big Trouble in Little China. So thank you so much to Mark for the listener request. Totally. Thanks, Mark. I was thinking about the whole evolution of the listener request phenomenon and how we did an initial run of what? Like eight? Seven? Yeah. Seven, eight? Something like that? Which went... In the early days. Fairly poor, I would say. <laughs> We've come a long way. We went from me costing Matt lifelong friendships Definitely, yeah. over the listener requests. Just a vicious beatdown of all of my friends that sent in requests. <laughs> well, not really. No, I know. I'm but- teasing. <laughs> there was some awkwardness over Definitely, it. I yes. don't think that the people who were listening to our show back then fully grasped what we were trying to do, which is our fault. Agreed. We yeah. made it seem like our podcast was mostly making fun of things, which we still do. But Yeah, that's just because we're so cynical that we can't get out of that. Right, but we were still ultimately picking movies we liked to Definitely. do on the show. Yes, And then we got an influx of terrible garbage for our listener requests. People... Yeah. You can go back and look at some of them. Insane that that happened. But we've come a long way. A listener a few years ago by the name of Kevin revitalized it, yeah. brought it back. Kev. Kicked off a renaissance for the greatest moments, if you will. And I can't fucking believe that we've done 38. I know. And now we have like all these other ones on deck. It's crazy. It's crazy how far it's come. And now the listeners pick stuff that we mostly are interested in. And if it's not anything we've seen, it's opening our eyes definitely to new things. I know Matt now has Eddie and the Cruisers in his top three favorite films of all time. Of course, ever made. yes. For sure, <laughs> confirmed. No, but we've enjoyed all this stuff that we hadn't seen before, and it's really expanding our worlds. Not that we hadn't seen Big Trouble in Little China. We mm-hmm. have. I have the fucking Screen Factory Blu-ray. But yeah. Sometimes the listeners just really hit it right on the head, you know. It was time for us to do another Carpenter film because there's still like a few major ones we got to cross off the list, and this was one of them. Absolutely. So it was high time to get to it, and I had a blast revisiting it. Yeah, it's a, just a fun time. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Before we wrap up, do we have any recommendations to speak of? Yeah, I'll do a quickie. So I'd never seen this. I just watched it on streaming on HBO Max right now. Dennis Hopper directed movie Colors with Sean Penn and Robert Duvall. I'd never watched that before. Dennis Hopper has some weird directorial movies. And I would say they are all kind of different, but he definitely was always interested in the darker side of humanity and the like, <laughs> sure, the, yeah. like he really had an ability to hone in on the very, very raw visceral human experience things and i think that movie's another example of it was never a, a household name for a, as a director but an interesting career as one i'd say i've never seen colors but i am familiar with it i know it has a reputation it's on some watch list of mine somewhere yeah I haven't gotten to it yet. I just randomly saw it sitting up there on HBO Max and was like, I'm going to give this a watch. I 
think there's a Shout Factory, maybe. I'm not sure who did the Blu-ray for that. I know there's a Blu-ray floating around somewhere. I've seen it. Anyway, I don't really have anything specific in terms of recommendations. I do think that in the next few days or weeks, Matt and myself will have to try to get to the theater. There's definitely some stuff we need to talk about for current theatrical films. Right now, I've just been focused on... Yellow Jackets, and VHS movies. There you go. I've been watching a lot of VHS. I don't think I need to bore you by talking about any of those because they're all famous films that I'm sure most of you have seen, like The Wedding Singer Mm -hmm. or The Running Man or Porky's, which I immediately watched after watching this because I needed (laughs) more Kim Cattrall in my life. Anyway, I think that'll do it. We'll keep it nice and short. Thanks to Mark for the listener request, we have errands, I believe, coming up next. Let me confirm that real quick. Looking forward to it. I want to make sure I have that right. Just notebooks upon notebooks with all this shit written down. It's hard to even tell which list I'm working off of anymore because there's so many updated ones. <laughs> yes, we are getting to Aaron's listener request. Next, we have Ron, Mike, and Johnny coming up in May. If you would like your listener request to happen in July, because we are taking June off for One Trashy Summer, not that we there won't be new episodes, but there won't be any listener requests, please reach out to the show. We basically are open to do any narrative feature, feature films, not documentaries. Right. Anything you would like, $50 gets a movie up to two hours and 10 minutes, $75 for the extra work for a movie up to three hours, and then we would negotiate after that. Reach out on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Follow us there. Say hey. Click on our tip jar. Maybe send us an extra five or a ten sometime if you'd like. Also, email us, greatestpod at gmail.com. Questions, comments, concerns. We'd love to read your emails on the show. If you'd like a free sticker, you can let us know at either place. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Please do that make sure you download every episode make sure you're telling your friends and family about the program only if they're cool though and they would get it right come on seriously very specific audience here hit us up with any comments any questions ratings reviews all that stuff actually adds up it all matters we love all of our interactions believe me we talk about it constantly yep and last but not least but no actually let me amend that last and least (laughs) Find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Matt Crosby on there. If you follow us from the show because of what listening to the program, please reach out and let us know and we'll follow you back. Either do a comment on one of our reviews or reach out on Twitter or whatever if you're trying to develop a following for yourself. It's sort of a weird app. You got to mess with it to figure out how to get followers and do all that shit, but whatever. Anyway... Thank you so much for listening. The next episode will probably come out Wednesday night, overnight into Thursday, rather than Tuesday night, overnight into Wednesday. Give everyone an extra day to get caught up with these two episodes. Don't panic. But don't panic. Hang in there. We got lots coming your way soon. Talk to you next week.
Dude, let me tell you something. I will never quit drinking. I will never quit drinking. I will always make sure that I can keep my body healthy enough so that I can always drink. I love seeing a sunrise with a cocktail, seeing a sunset with a cocktail, having friends walk into your house with a bottle of wine, getting on a plane. Can I get you something? Double Jack on the rocks, lots of rocks. I love the moment someone says, hey, we should get a drink, and, you, and you're not supposed to. That feeling, it's like a first kiss. You don't get that first kiss when, kisses when you're married. You get to have those first drinks. At a brunch, someone goes, should we do mimosas? And then the waiter goes, actually, we have bottomless mimosas. And you're like, this is gonna be the best day ever. Dude, you just hype me the fuck up. <laughs> you just hype me up, bro. That was like a locker room speech. Yeah.